0: Father, the scripture tells us that those who know thy name put their trust in thee. And we are thankful for the name of Jesus. And we are thankful for the fact that he is our Savior and he is our shepherd. He is our master. He is our Lord. We are thankful that he is God and that. Even though he existed as God, he did not regard equality with God, a thing to be held on to, but he laid aside his privileges, Philippians says, and he came and became a servant for us, and he went to the cross on our behalf. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And because the Spirit of God worked in our hearts and drew us to Christ, we put our trust in him. And he is our Savior, and he is our Lord, and he is our Master, and he is our God, and he is our Shepherd. the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Or to put it more literally, I have no needs. We have needs, but we have him. And we trust in him because he told us he'd meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory. So, those who know thy name put their trust in thee. Everybody is trusting someone or something. But we trust in the living God. Who never lies, who never deceives, who never gives us half-truth. Psalm 119 says, the sum of, of thy word is truth. If we take the entire Bible and add it up and get the sum, it's truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So we trust in Him. And we thank you, Father, that you are there. We thank you that the Holy Spirit is there. We we thank you for Father, Son, and Spirit, and for that relationship that is beyond our understanding but is a model for us. Uh, we, we, We thank you that each member of the Trinity is at work in different ways in our lives. The Holy Spirit, when we trust Christ, comes into our lives and is in us and illuminates, puts a flashlight on the word of God and lets us see what we couldn't see before. And that's what we would ask for tonight is that we study your word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We're all walking different um, through different circumstances of life we're all coming here tonight from different situations but what we all have in common is that we need your guidance for the next step because wherever we are in the path of life we have never been here on this part of the trail before if we're uh, If we're 15 or 16, we've never been 15 before or 16 before. If we're 26, we've never been 26 before. We know what it is to be 25, but not 26. If we're 50, we know what it is to be 40, but we've never been 50. No matter where we are, that's true. Every stretch of trail, each day is new. Therefore, each day we need to hear from you. And we trust you to get us through each day and the challenges of each day and the difficulties of each day. But those who know thy name put their trust in thee. So we walk through life with confidence, knowing our need of you, knowing how flawed we are, that there is sin in our lives, but that you have conquered sin and that there will be a day when you deliver us from all sin. We thank you that our sins are not held against us because Christ has died for them. But one day when we breathe our last and go to be with Christ, we'll be free from the bondage of sin. You've got us in this life and you've got us already taken care of for the next life. Our life is secure. We move ahead with hope because we trust in you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We continue our trek through the Psalms. And tonight we're in Psalm 8. You may not be familiar with Psalm 8, but Psalm 8 is is a great psalm. Psalm 8 is a, a psalm that to me is I want to call it a chiropractic adjustment psalm. (laughs) Now I don't know that any Hebrew scholars would have that terminology but we are living we are living in insane times. Insane. I, I have Mentioned the Babylon Bee before. It is a Christian satire um, website that is brilliant. The guy who founded the Babylon Bee, his name is Adam Ford. Best I can tell, he's somewhere around 40. Uh, He recently sold the Babylon Bee to another guy who's continuing on. Ford's still a part owner and still involved, but he got interested in developing a news website from a Christian perspective. He calls it Discern, D-I-S-C-R-N. He also has a newsletter called the Adam, what's his last name? Ford, thank you. I almost said Chevy, and I knew that wasn't right. I just knew Chevy didn't fit. The Adam Ford Newsletter. So in a given day, because I'm on their email, I get their email shots. On a given day, at certain times, I'll read the Babylon Bee, which is satire, and it's brilliantly written. I'll read uh, the Adam Ford Newsletter and some of his commentary, and this guy is Sharp. He's a solid believer, and he is sharp, and he is a great writer. And then I'll read uh, Discern, his, his news site. Sometimes I find myself reading an article on the news website, and I have to stop for a minute because it's so crazy and what I'm reading is so insane I stop for a second and think to myself wait a minute am I reading the Babylon B is it and I have to stop and and because I'm a lot of times reading it on my phone and you know you scroll down and I don't have the header I don't know which where I am and I got to scroll up and go no this is no this isn't satire this is real you know what I'm talking about These are days of increasing insanity. The further you get away from God, the more irrational you become. The further you get away from the Bible, the more irrational you become. Romans 1, beginning with verse 18, talks about the decline that occurs in a person's life when they, even though they know God, Even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God. But they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. When you deny the truth about God that you know to be true in your heart and that you observe through the creation and you know that God is there because Romans one says, God has written the truth of himself on our hearts. But we suppress the truth and unrighteousness. The idea is there is you sit on a box and hold it down but truth, keep, you're sitting on this box and you're holding it down, but you keep going like this because the truth of God keeps, you can't hold it down. But the longer you try to hold it down, you go through phases where it says, and God gave them over. And God gave them over. And God gave them over. The, the further you get away from God, the further you get away from his word, the more irrational your thinking will become, and the more decadent your behavior will become. That's true for individuals, it's true for nations. This is what we're seeing all around us. And it says in Romans one, that at a certain point he gave them over to a reprobate mind or he gave them over to a depraved mind. That is an unthinking, non-rational mind which is what what we see increasingly all around us at the highest levels uh, of society and government and whatever else, education. It's increasingly insane. Psalm eight is a psalm. It's to me, you read Psalm eight and you you, kind of get, uh, you get, You get hammered with all of this stuff every day. It just keeps coming. All this craziness, all of this nonsense, all of this irrational thinking and irrational statements that you can't, they put out there like it's normal but it's not, it's abnormal. This is how you take nations down. This is how you destroy people's lives. And there's enough of it coming our way that after a while, you can get a little bit overwhelmed. I see Psalm 8, when you read it, and when you study it, it's sort of like when, you're, when your back goes out a little bit, and you know, you just can't, sometimes it'll kind of work its way, but I mean, this has been going on for just several days, and I mean, you just, you're just out of, and so you go into the chiropractor, and he sits you down and he's talking to you and asking what's going on and you know you're just talking back and forth and then he's doing little things and he walks behind you and all of a sudden as you're talking to him just nicely he goes <coughs> you go ah <clears throat> and then you go oh oh gosh that feels better that's Psalm 8 to me it's a <coughs> because what it does is it puts you back it recalibrates you It resets you and your view of the world. Because the biblical view of the world is different than what's going on around us. We'll read the psalm, then we'll come back to it. Um, Before we read the psalm, let me give you the three-point outline. Number one, men discover their purpose By praising God, men discover their purpose in life by praising God. That's verse one, and it's verse nine, interestingly enough. We'll come back to this. Secondly, compared to God's majesty, man is insignificant. Now, if you thought you could come here tonight and have your self esteem built up, we'll get it built up, but we'll get it built up correctly. Second point compared to God's majesty, man is insignificant. That's verses three and four. Uh, Thirdly, because of God's creation purpose, man is significant. Because of God's creation purpose, man is significant. That would be verses five through eight. Let's read this Psalm. O Lord, our Lord, or O Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained or appointed or fixed, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than God and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas, Verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, O Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. There you go. At first pass, you think, really? It's that significant? Yeah, it is. It is. We live in an insane world, but. Psalm 8 has two bookmarks that give a man sanity. Um, And this would come under the heading of, of number one. Men discern their purpose by praising God. Note that verse one, O Lord, our Lord, or some translations have, O Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So that's our first bookend. Look at verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, or again, O Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Those are the two bookends. They are bookends of praise. Of praise. We used to sing a song when I was a kid growing up in church Count your blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Now, if you grew up in high church, you've never heard this song. But uh, Count Your Blessing, it's, it's just a chorus, but it's got great theology. When, when you're despairing, when you're anxious, when you're worried, when you, uh, I read an article the other day we're hearing about this coronavirus, and but this guy had done a little bit of research, and he had 10 plagues that are hitting the earth right now. And I, I read that, and I was so encouraged. <laughs> You've got locusts in Africa. You've got locusts that are coming and absolutely... Destroying farms, depending on the size of the farm, anywhere from 10 to 30 minutes, it's gone. It's gone. It's, it's, it's almost of biblical proportions. Not quite. Not quite what happened in Egypt, but close. Uh, you've had these fires in Australia. We've never seen fires like this oh, you'll get fires in California and all this. But the Australia fires? And they didn't know what they were going to do. They were at the end of their rope. And then by chance, rain came. (laughs) They got record rain. They got three months' worth of rain in 48 hours. That's what put out the fires. Now, what they should be saying is, oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Some were saying that, not all. But that's the rational thing to say. That's the logical thing to say. He went on and listed, by the way, besides the coronavirus, there are two others out there. I didn't know about them, but they're out there. And uh, one of them is even worse than Corona. Once again, I'm just here to encourage you. How do you handle this? And, and, and then you look at what's going on in the nation, you look at what's going on in the courts, you look at what's going on politically, you look at what's going on in education. You can get overwhelmed, you can get depressed, you can get anxious, you can get worried. Count your blessings, name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. My gosh, what am I gonna do if this happens? And then what am I gonna do if this happens? And what if this virus gets really bad? And then what if, and then what if, And you've played the what if game before, haven't you? We all do. Psalm 94. Verse 19, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me. It's interesting, we never just have one anxious thought. Anxious thoughts breed like rabbits. You have one anxious thought, oh my gosh, what if this happens? Oh, and then if that happens, what if that happens? And then, oh, and if that happened, and then, oh my, oh my, oh my gosh. How do you work your way out of that? And it could be life-threatening. I mean, your purpose your purpose, and your time on the earth could be over. How do you work your way out of that? What's our first point on the outline? Men discern their purpose by praising God. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So Jim Dennis said, does a great weekly uh, or daily newsletter. I don't know how he does it every day, but he does it. And the one this morning was uh, profound. He, He was talking about America and our background and we've come from different places in the world. He said over recent generations, those who have come from Europe and a background where they were ruled by European kings, we have replaced those European kings by enthroning ourselves. The problem is we were never intended to flourish as kings of our own kingdoms. Jesus warned us in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. To have the power of God, we must be submitted to the purpose of God. And then he quotes C.S. Lewis, and this is brilliant. Lewis said, God made us, invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol and it would not run properly on anything else. Now God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about him. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it isn't there, there is no such thing. That is the key to history. Terrific energy is expended, civilizations are built up, excellent institutions devised, but each time something goes wrong. Some fatal flaw always brings the selfish and cruel people to the top and it all slides back into misery and ruin. In fact, the machine conks, it stops. It seems to start up all right and runs a few yards and then it breaks down. Why? They are trying to run it on the wrong juice. That is what Satan has done to us humans. In him, we live and move and have our existence. Paul said in Acts 17. He is our fuel. But we're always turning to other things. And we've got everything out of whack. But when all this fails, read the directions. In, 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 you've got the first bookmark, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then the next line says, you have set your glory above the heavens. You have set your glory above above the heavens Um, this this is often used in scripture Uh, turn with me to Isaiah 66 this is referring to the greatness of God this is referring to the majesty of God it was J.I. Packer who said God is incomprehensible but he is knowable He's incomprehensible, but he is knowable, he can be known. Uh, His majesty, his greatness, his power, his character, his holiness, Uh, his omniscience, he knows all things, his omnipresence, he is everywhere. In Isaiah 66, verse one, thus says the Lord, uh, look at the metaphor here. Look at the picture. Heaven is my throne. And the earth is my footstool. Now, heavens. The heavens. If if it, It's really hard to see the stars around here because there's so much light at night. But you get out in the country. I remember well that night we were on our way to go up up in the mountains to do some skiing. And the flight was late in the Colorado Springs and all that, so we were delayed and we're going up kind of a back way. And at some point we got out just to stretch. And we were in the middle of nowhere. We were probably, I don't know, 8,500 feet, 9,000. I remember getting out of that car and looking up, and I mean, it was astonishing. It was astonishing. And everyone got out, and we were just going, wow, wow. I mean, mean, you could hardly speak. It was so overwhelming. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? And where is the place that I may rest? Now watch this. Watch this. For my hand made all these things. What things? Everything. Everything. He made it all. He spoke it into existence. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord, This is the greatness of God. This is the majesty of God. Uh, You you, you just can't take all this in. He is a God who who is incomprehensible, yet he is knowable. And look at this, he's interested in us. You just have this description of the greatness of God. And then the next line says, but to this one, I will look. To this man, I will look. To this woman, I will look. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. What that tells me is when I get overwhelmed by all the events in the world and, or by the things that are pressing into my life, not just the world, but what's local, what's in my sphere, what's in my, just in my little life, the pressures, the, the setbacks, getting blindsided, that, how are we going to do this? How's this going to work? My gosh, I was planning on doing this, and then I never saw this one coming. And sometimes the weight is so great, you wake up in the middle of the night. And when you wake up in the middle of the night, what do you do? Start talking to him, just start praising him. Casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. And you, you remind yourself of who he is. And see, here's the thing. He loves men who wake up in the middle of the night and call on his name. He loves them. And he only loves them. He's working for them. And he's going to make a way for them. And he's going to, the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro about the earth, looking for those whose hearts are fully his, that he may strongly support them. This is to the, but to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Lord, I'm not sure what to do. I need your help. And Lord, I'm holding on to this verse. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Philippians 4, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I'm holding on to this, Lord. I tremble at this word because I know it's true. I need your peace tonight. I cannot go back to sleep. I need your help. He loves guys like that. He does. He's for you. Is it Psalm 56:9? This I know that God is for me. We think he's a mad at us, he's against us, all that. That's been covered in Christ unless you're in known sin which you refuse to deal with before him. Then you're under discipline. Well, how do I get out from under that? Repent, come clean, take your licks, and you'll be restored. But don't horse around with sin if you're in trouble. Don't do that. That doesn't make any sense. That's irrational. Get all in. Get under the authority. Get under the word. Get teachable. Do what he tells you to do. Whatever the next right step is, take it. Now, see, this is a God. See, there you are, you're in your house. You're in your condo. You're in your RV, wherever you are. And you're in your bed and you can't sleep. And then here's God whose throne is in the heavens. Whose glory is above the heavens. It's above it. I don't care where the Hubble telescope goes or what it sees. I don't care how far out it goes, how many light years, how many. He's there. This is the immensity of God. This is the majesty of God. And see, we're overwhelmed by stuff on the earth. We're overwhelmed by stuff that's immediately before us. How am I gonna pay this? And and, and, hey, it's a big deal because it's our life and we have responsibilities and we want to honor those responsibilities. But we're out of options. When you're in that situation and you're weak and you're fatigued And you're out of gas. You can't forget who your God is. You see. (laughs) His glory is above the heavens. You're there in that little bed trying to figure life out. He spoke all of this into existence. So Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You know everything about me. You know my active life. You know my passive life. You know me when I'm at work. You know, me when, you know me when I'm asleep. When I sit down, when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. Half the time, I don't even understand myself. Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I make that decision? He, gets, he knows why. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. You're intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it all. Every word you'll ever speak for the rest of your life, he knows what you'll say when you say it and with the intonation and with the attitude behind it already. And he's always known that for everybody in the world. You've enclosed me behind and before. You look there, you look over your past, there's your past life. That's behind. You've enclosed me. So I got my my past life. I mean, here I am today, I'm in trouble. You've enclosed me behind and before. That's my future. I'm not even sure I'm going to have a future. But you see, you've enclosed me behind and before. I can look back and see the chapters you've taken me through, but he's already written chapters for you that you know nothing about. All you know is that you're here right now and you're going down. But think about who your God is. He knows your whole life. He knows the whole world. He knows where the whole world is going because he has a plan for the ages and for the nations and for you and for your kids and your grandkids. This is who he is. Uh, You've laid your hand upon me, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, it is too high, I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, If I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me. If I take the wings of the dawn. All right, imagine this. If you could strap a saddle and a bridle onto the first rays of sunlight in the morning. If you could lasso one of those beams of light, saddle up and ride that sucker all day long. Light travels how fast? 186,000 miles per second. So you write it for an hour, you're making some tr- you're making tracks. You write it for 8 hours, you're making tracks. You read you write it all day long into the solar system, beyond the solar, you know. And you stop and get off wherever you are, he's there. There is nowhere he isn't. 11, if I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, this is the darkest it's ever been in my entire life. Even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to thee because you're God and your glory is above the earth. Now that right there, you know what that is? That's a ka-chunk. That straightens you out. Does it not? You ever been sick with worry? Oh, that's fun. That's fun. But you see, his glory is above the heavens. And this is the one to whom I look. He's looking for guys. He's looking for guys that are seeking him and calling on his name when the whole world's insane. See, men discover their purpose when they praise God. You praise him. You just thank him. You've had a setback. You don't know how this is going to work out. But Lord, I praise your name because I've been here before. How many times have I seen you come through for me? How many times have I seen no possible way out and you made a way out? I thank you for those times. Just start naming them, praising Him, Because you know what? You, you may be in the dark right now about your purpose and about what's next in the chapter of life, and you may be in a big-time transition. You may be in the dark. Psalm, Psalm 142.3, when my anxious thoughts overwhelm me, you knew my path. You knew my path. When you're overwhelmed by anxiety, He knows the next step. He knows the next week. He knows exactly what he's doing. So you can praise him. And as you praise him, he's going to make known his purpose. When you praise him, it calms you down. When you praise him, it gives you that peace which passes all understanding. I was looking at the Human Manifesto this week. There's, they revised it three times. Uh, some of the original guys who came up with that were Unitarian pastors and Unitarian professors at Unitarian semin, uh, seminaries. You say, what do Unitarians believe about the Bible? The answer is nothing. They don't believe anything about the Bible. And when you read the uh, Principles of the Humanist Manifesto there is no God, there is is no revelation from God. Here's a line, I won't get it exactly right. There is no salvation, and there is no Savior. Words to that effect. That may not be exactly right, but it is close. They deny Christ. They deny sin. Why would you need a savior if there's no sin? There is no eternal punishment. There's no eternal reward. This is all there is. There is no life after you take your last breath. That's it. The center of humanism is man. But we, we've got these other offshoots right now. Um, I'm sure you're thinking ahead to Earth Day. (laughs) Earth Day is coming. I think it's April 22nd. It's the 50th anniversary of the first Earth Day. And I got on their website. I mean, these guys are organized. It it was somewhat shocking how organized and how connected and how wired. And even if you're a pastor, they have a a section for you to go to to help you um, teach and encourage your congregation about the earth. Because you see, to the humanist, man is the center. To the environmentalist, the real, you know what I'm talking about. God's the original environmentalist. He created it. And because of sin, the entire creation is groaning, Romans 8 says, and they're looking forward to the return of Christ. He'll make it right. He's going to the environment. But you see, environmentalists, man isn't at the center. In fact, man's not real important to environmentalists. The earth is everything. It's the earth. It's the earth. It's one earth. It's one planet. That's all out of whack. In verse 2, you have infants praising God. And infidels opposing God. This is quite a contrast. Verse two, from the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength. That's an interesting thing to say because infants and nursing babes don't have strength. They are utterly dependent. In fact, if you leave them alone, they'll die. Which, by the way, there was a bill yesterday in the Senate that Senator Ben Sasse from Nebraska had put through. Basically saying that if a child uh, survives an abortion and he's there and still alive, they would make it a federal law that the physician has got to do everything they can do to save that baby's life. And 41 senators of a certain party voted it down. That's astonishing. That's insane that's barbaric that's evil that's wicked that's demonic those little babies are defenseless I'm going to leave it right there Otherwise, I'll go for another hour on that. We can't do that. Uh, This is an interesting verse. Infants praise God, but infidels oppose him. This was actually fulfilled, literally, in Matthew 21. Uh, Go over to Matthew 21, and we'll look at verse 14. As we're going there, I'll tell you something kind of interesting. So my nephew, Jason... He and his wife, Alyssa, they now have four kids under the age of five. Because they had two little boys, and then a couple of months ago, two little twin girls were born prematurely. So, they're having fun. (laughs) They don't know where they live, they don't know what state they're in, because they're exhausted, and they sent a video 10 days ago, these two little tiny girls. And this video was these two little baby girls wrapped up, you know, you wrap them up kind of like papooses. And they're right next to each other on the bed. And the video just starts. And they're facing each other. And they're talking to each other. I'm telling you, they're talking. And they're just looking at each other. Yeah. I mean, it just melted your heart. These little, tiny, defenseless, utterly dependent babies. And we had people in power who have no problem with slaughtering those little girls. In Matthew 21, verse 14, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and watch this, and the children. So the term used back in Psalm 8, infant nursing babes can also be children. Okay, it's kind of a broad term and the children were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant. Who became indignant? The chief priest and the scribes. They became indignant and said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, Psalm 8. That's what he said to them. Yes, he says, have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise for yourself (laughs) isn't that great Jesus was always tweaking these guys these were the leaders these were the guys with all the power and they were always checking Jesus out because Jesus had this habit of healing people on the Sabbath and that drove them nuts because they'd come up with this thing, oh, you can't heal on the Sabbath. That's not in the scriptures. They just came up with it as your bureaucracy. And Jesus, knowing their hearts, the guy with a withered hand, on the Sabbath, Jesus, those guys were all, in. Jesus looks at him and then Jesus looks at the guy, and he says, stretch forth your hand. <laughs> Should you not praise God? Oh, yeah. They were livid. They were livid. Why? Because they're the enemies of God. Uh, we've seen the wicked and the righteous in Psalms, there they are again. Jesus, Jesus said, if they don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. Because he's worthy of praise. He's almighty God. Let's go to number two. Compared to God's majesty, man is insignificant. Compared to the majesty of God, when you compare yourself to God, of course you're insignificant. Back to Psalm 8, and we look at verse 3. David says, when I consider your heavens. So David's out at night, you know, he's a kid, he's got the sheep thing going on, and he's got them bedded down, and he's, he's I mean, you know, he's in Bethlehem, I mean, Bethlehem is small right now. You could probably still see stars really well out of Bethlehem. But you could for sure see the stars just, I mean, it was just overwhelming. So he's bedded down and he's looking at those stars. He says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the idea of God, the the, the fingers of God doing pottery. That's the solar system. That's all this. He just did it, did it. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have fixed, which you have ordained. Now, here you go. What is man that you take thought of him? What is man that you remember him? That you remember me? That you're aware of me? What did Isaiah say? This is the one to whom I look. See, he remembers. The one who humbles himself, who's contrite in spirit, who trembles at his word. God knows all about you. And see, this blows him away. It blows me away. It blows you away. And the son of man that you care for him. He cares for us. He's our father. Your father knows that you need these things. And why are you anxious about food and clothing and what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear? Your father knows that you need all these things. You know, that, that's, that pretty much says it. Your dad knows. He knows. And he's got the power. And he's got the ability. You know what that is? That's a k-chick. It just calibrates me. James Johnson in his commentary says, our galaxy looks like a cloud, but this glow is actually the light of 200 to 400 billion stars, turning like a giant pinwheel some 100 100 light years across. In the 1920s, Edwin Hubble showed that our galaxy is one of many galaxies in the universe The best estimate is that there are roughly 170 billion galaxies gathered in clusters and strung like filaments across space. Now the Hubble Space Telescope gives us a front row seat to see the wonders of uh, the nebula and the Magellanic clouds or the collision of a comet with Jupiter. All this is the work of God's fingers. The vast distances and the nuclear explosions of the stars are are not rough sweaty work like heavy construction or road building for God. Creating the galaxies, watch this, is detailed, delicate work for him, like a woman weaving lace. Boy, that's a great picture. No wonder David asked, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? But see, he is mindful of us and he cares for us. William Beebe, the naturalist, used to tell the story about Teddy Roosevelt at Sagamore Hill, his family home after talking for the evening, the two would go out on the lawn and search the skies for a certain spot of starlight light near the left-hand corner of the great square of Pegasus. Then Roosevelt would recite, that is the spiral galaxy in Andromeda. It is as large as our Milky Way. It is one of a hundred million galaxies. It consists of 100 billion suns, Each larger than our sun. And then Roosevelt would grin and say, Now I think we are small enough. Let's go to bed. That is great. I read that in one of his biographies. He'd go out there every night and he'd, he'd he'd go through that. Yeah, I'm president. Yeah, I've got this power. Yeah, I've been, yeah. Okay, now I'm small enough. Let's go get some sleep. Third, because of God's creation, man is significant. Wait a minute, I thought he was insignificant. Compared to God, we are. But you see, we're significant because of what God in creation and the mandate God gave to men. God's given you a mandate. He's given me a mandate. Let's go to Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, God is laying out his creation order and you've got creation in Genesis 1 and you read 126 then God said let us who's us? Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit then God said let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them, watch this and let them Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I, I, Chuck will be gone Sunday. I'm going to preach on this passage on Sunday. Because in our times, we're moving the ancient boundaries. We're moving the ancient boundary of gender, and we're moving the ancient boundary of marriage. Which is next? God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply to the male and female, and subdue it. Uh, uh, Fill the earth and subdue it. it. So we live in a day where it's the earth. Oh, it's the earth. It's the earth. Humanism says it's man. It's man. No. You know what God says? My glory, my glory. The glory of God fills the earth. My glory is above the heavens, and I have given a mandate to man, to me, to be my representative. He's made in my image on the earth, and he has dominion over it. The earth doesn't have dominion over us. We, this gets crazy when we get out of balance. We've seen, and it's been a while, but we've seen groups that are for animal rights that have bombed research facilities that were working on cures that would save the lives of little babies with certain kinds of cancer. And they bombed it because they were doing testing on laboratory animals. And you see, they think laboratory animals are just as valuable as little children. but they're not because those little babies, those little boy babies, those little girl babies are made in the image of God and that rabbit isn't. Jesus talked about the fact that God fed the birds and the different animals and then then Jesus said, are you not more important than they? And the board of directors at PETA said, no. They're more important than us. No, this is what happens. You go insane when you get away from what God says. So I need to wrap this up. When you read this creation account, and you read in the Genesis 2, God gave a mandate to man for creation. We are are co-regents. As God rules all things, he has given mankind dominion over the earth. And man, that is radical to say that in this culture. But man has dominion over the earth. God gave it to him. God gave it to him. Now, because of sin, which came in in Genesis 3, you see, we're to steward the earth and the resources as we are to steward everything that God gives us. But because of sin, sometimes horrible things happen because of the hearts of men. It happens to other people. There's cruelty beyond description. There's just all kinds of horrible things. Uh, sometimes things are done uh, to water, to, to forests. Uh, why would you not steward a forest? Harvest it, use it. Why would, why would you not use it? People that use their head have always done that. But can it be abused? Yes. But see, man was given a responsibility. This is our assignment from the Lord. Each man has a sphere. Adam had the garden. You have a sphere. I have a sphere. We have a sphere of influence. Where we live, where we shop, where we have family, where we have church, where we have restaurants we frequent... You, you've got, you, you you've got your sphere, and there are people in that sphere. And as a husband, as a grandfather, you are responsible for your family and for those under your care, and you have a stewardship, and that would include your work, and that would and, and see. We want our lives to count. What God has done is that God has distributed to each one of us in the womb; He gives us different gifts. He gives us different inclinations. Uh, He gives us different skills. Dave Kraft is a longtime pastor who got kind of an emergency message from a, a leader, a church leader that he had known for a long time. And the guy was desperate and Kraft looked at the message, prayed for a minute, knew that he needed to call the guy and he called the guy and the guy told him over the phone that he was under psychological care. This guy was a leader who was well known that had it together, was doing some stuff that was significant. He told me over the phone he was under psychological care and was in the midst of an emotional and physical meltdown. I was stunned. He's a multi-gifted man and a leader of great capacity and and energy. And I said, how did it happen? You seem to be doing great. There were two or three contributing factors. The one that caught my attention was one I had seen before in other leaders with whom I had been involved. My friend told me that he had, recept- he had accepted responsibility for things that were beyond his personal design, gifting, and passion. In the process of saying yes to these things, he was moving away from the things that were an expression of who he really was. He had slowly been exchanging definitely, definitely me for. Not me, in some major area of his responsibilities. Uh, He got out of his gifting. He got out of his strengths. So in the womb, God designs us, fashions us. He, He gives this guy strengths. He gives this guy different strengths. This guy has different strengths. And this guy. And God oversees it all. And this is how the world runs. Some guys are go with details, some guys are go with math, some guys can read people, some guys can counsel people. Some guys sit in a room in a library and study all day long and they're not real good with people. Other guys never read a book, they're just out there on social media and hey, how you doing? Let's have a party, let's go get some beer, let's get drunk. I mean, there's all kinds of guys, right? But you have strengths and you've been given a stewardship just as Adam was given a stewardship in the garden. And what happens where we get overtaxed and we get overwhelmed and we lose, we lose our purpose is that we get outside of what God has gifted us to do. And when you are working in the area of the gifts that God has given to you, it energizes you. Now, as you get older, you might have to cut back a little bit. You might need to downshift a little bit because you, you can't go the speed you were going when you were 35, and a little it seems like each decade you got to downshift just a little. You can still do it. You can still function, be effective, but you got to downshift a little bit. You got to steward your energy. But what happened to this guy? This guy is getting I mean this guy is a wreck. He got outside of what he was gifted to do into areas where others were gifted. I've done that. You've done it. What do we start out with? We started out with man discovers man discovers their their purpose by praising God. You can praise God. David said I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. In Psalm 139. He's given me different. He gave me this skill and this skill and this skill. I thank him for it. Some of you guys can work with your hands. You can build anything. You can make anything. I mean you buy a car And it's not even a symbol. (laughs) And you just start putting it together. You don't even read the directions. Oh, mm -hmm, yeah, sure. Yeah, hand me a donut. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you never miss a beat. Where'd you get that? God put it in you. Now, are you the guy to run a, a car lot? To run a dealership? No. You're getting out of your gifting. Somebody else has those gifts. What I'm trying to say, and whatever skills and gifting, Colossians 3 says, whatever you do, and what do you do? Whatever you do, how do you make a living? How do you provide for your family? What are the strengths? Whatever you do, do your work heartily, not as unto men, but as unto Christ. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve in your sphere, in your garden. You're serving him. And he weaves it all together. Well, I can't do that all, but that guy can do that. Oh, great. That's how the body of Christ works. So we're all significant because God has given us a mandate. No matter what kind of work you do, I'm to love Christ. I'm to love my wife. Bring my kids up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. Uh, I'm to be a grandfather that's there, available, helping out. It's fun stuff. See, that's doing his work. Warren Wearsby puts it this way, and I'll close. In this section, verses 5 through 8, that we've been looking at, you see, the creation mandate, when you look in Genesis, you find that man is to work. Adam was to work the garden. Work wasn't the result of sin. What was the result of sin? Now he had to work with thorns and thistles. So the mandate, the man is to work notice how our culture is against these mandates man is to work our culture enables healthy young men to not work it denies the creation ordinances man is to rest there was a sabbath day you can't go 24-7 even though our culture says go 24-7 you can't do it you'll kill yourself so you take a day off Thirdly, men is to marry. Now, does every guy marry? No, but most do. Because if guys didn't marry, there'd be no next generation. This, This is real basic stuff. So men are to marry, and fourthly, they're to have children. This is the creation mandate. But see, now we're told, because as we'll see on Sunday, the second boundary, ancient boundary, that has been moved is marriage. And there's all kinds of marriage. But God only says there's one kind of marriage. This cause a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Only a husband, wife, male, female, can reproduce children. It's the only marriage that God approves. It's the only marriage that God endorses. He has the copyright on marriage. He has the trademark. He owns it. With all that in mind, Wearsby says this, The Lord crowned Adam and Eve and gave them dominion over the other creatures. We are co-regents of creation with the Lord. The angels are servants, but we are kings, and one day all who have trusted Christ will be like him. To summarize, God the Father created us to be kings, but the disobedience of our first parents robbed us of our crowns. God the Son came to earth and redeemed us to be kings. That's Revelation 1, verses 5 through 6. And today the Holy Spirit of God can empower us to reign in life by one, namely Jesus Christ. That's Romans 5, 17. When you crown Jesus Lord of all, you are a sovereign and not a slave. You are a victor and not a victim. And you can say from your heart, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And you'll know why you're alive and you'll know why you were born. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage that calibrates us. We're living in a time when the world is out of sync. And it used to be that many, many people in our country held to these principles, even if they didn't know you. We've gotten to a point today where if you even speak these principles, you'll be attacked. These principles are hated, but these are the principles and these are the words that lead lead to life. So help us, help us in our world, in our sphere, in our family, to walk with you, to humble ourselves, to be contrite in spirit, and to tremble at your word. And as we ask for wisdom, as we steward what's before us and make the decisions that are waiting, lead us in the everlasting way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.